0: Welcome to Moonshine Murmurs, a podcast from Stillhouse Press. Thank you for joining us as we interview our authors about their writing and process as artists. We're so glad you're here. You can find more about our press and the books discussed in this episode at our website, stillhousepress.org. Hi, this is Taylor Schaefer, Podcast Director for Stillhouse Press, and today we're talking with Michelle Ross. Michelle is the author of three short story collections, Shapeshifting, winner of the 2020 Stillhouse Press Short Story Award, and also There's So Much They Haven't Told You from Moon City Press, and They Kept Running, which just came out from UNT Press in April of 2022. As former fiction editor for the Atticus Review and a writer on staff at 100 Word Story, Michelle is well-versed in the world of literary magazines and small presses, and today we're going to be talking about her perspective as someone who has published widely through independent presses. Thanks so much for being here, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to ask you about your recent work since publishing Shape Shifting. What have you been working on since publishing your book with us?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I published my third book last year, They Kept Running, and that is an all-flash-fiction collection. Um, my previous two books had some flash-fiction in them, but they were mostly longer stories. So this is the first one that was all-flash-fiction. And um, then I've just been writing more stories, more stories. Um, and it seems that the way it's been playing out I'm ending up with, I think, four different story collections that I'm working on at the same time, not really intentional, it's just the way I write, Um, so there's another flash fiction collection in the works, which is kind of getting close to being done, I think. I also have a collection of linked stories set in a fictional high school in a small Texas town, some other stories that are horror film-related that go together, and then, the fourth group, which is kind of more my oddballs, although they seem to be having some similar themes as well. So um, that's what I've been working on on my own. And then my friend Kim McGowan and I have been writing collaboratively since I think 2016. And all in all, I I believe we've written about 33 stories or or something like that, maybe maybe a little bit more than that now in the last um, six, seven years. And we have a full-length story collection coming out in 2025.
0: Oh, that's very exciting. Well, you know, the way that you're talking about your writing process, this idea of working through multiple stories as they come to you and then ordering them makes me so curious. What helped you decide what stories would go together in the form of a collection?
1: Well, I mean, it's largely just noticing these thematic commonalities and differences. Um, I mean, I definitely, I, I like story collections that feel kind of unified. I mean, I, you know, you, I want, I want variety within a collection. I want to be surprised, but I don't want things to be so random. It feels like somebody just threw a bunch of stories together and called it a collection so you know and then just the way i am and i think this is why i struggle with the idea of ever imagining you know trying to write a novel is that i'm constantly just playing around and experimenting i get tired of working on this i open up something totally different you know and and so hence i end up just writing these very different kinds of pieces that don't all go together in one collection but if you start separating them into piles you see themes you know and I got interest. I wrote a few stories um set in high school in Texas and I was like I'm kind of really liking these I should do more of these I should make this a thing um same thing with the horror film one although I feel like I've only written I don't know maybe four stories max for that one it feels it's been a while <laughs> it's it's developing very slowly but but again they just they really go together so I feel like I should I should keep working on that rather than um, trying to fit those stories in other collections where they don't quite belong.
0: I love that answer. <laughs> I love that answer. And I agree. I also love thematically organized short story collections. It just feels right mm-hmm. as far as organizing a collection in that way. Congratulations on your book deal with um, Kim McGowan. Can you tell us a little bit about what the collaborative writing process has been like for you?
1: Sure. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, what's really amazing to me about it, and Kim says the same thing, is we write so much faster <laughs> when we write together versus writing alone. It's, um, I've never done improv but it's it it's a lot like that you're just saying yes and you know instead of you know um and so every time I feel I usually what we do is one of us starts and we write maybe a few paragraphs and then we just pass it on to the other one um maybe slightly longer than a few paragraphs but but usually it's like okay I've written a few paragraphs maybe a page and and now, I'm a little bit stuck. Let's pass it on to the other person. and And then their job is to say yes and and continue the thread. Um, and it I don't know I don't know why it's so fast. It's crazy to me, you know, I mean, I think it's partly that you have this other person to, you know, to pick it up when you're getting tired and you're losing steam. but um, but then it's still just kind of a mysterious thing that we're able to make the story keep going and that that it's not suddenly hitting a wall or, you know, um, or that we're not fighting each other for the narrative. I mean, I think sometimes we'll kind of maybe push back against each other a little bit, but for the most part, it's just like, okay, I'll take what you've written and add on to it. And and it's, you know, there's always some revision, of course, with with any writing. But less revision writing with her than writing by myself. You know, it takes me usually months to write a single story, if not years, and just crazy radical revisions. But with her, it's just, yeah, totally different process.
0: That's amazing. It is amazing that you can write something collaboratively like that. I feel like a lot of people have trouble giving up control of their babies to another person. In that way.
1: Right. And you know, that, that is an important point. Um, I, we don't do it with anything, right? You know, if, if you have an idea of what you want to do with a story, that's not one to collaborate on. You know, that's one you should keep for yourself if you kind of have a sense of where the story's going. Um, it's more like, I don't know, I just have this, this tiny piece, you know, maybe just a setting or a few characters, and I, I have no idea where it's going. So it's easier to give it away and and not feel like you're wrestling for control. Um, and I feel like the other thing I should mention is um, I think this would be tricky with a lot of writers, right, because you have such different styles of writing, different voices, and we do too, but I think somehow, I mean, maybe just because we know each other's work so well, we've been each other's first readers for I don't know, since 2014, I think. Um, We're just kind of able to do this weird blend. You know, you can, if you know our writing, you can look at the story and you can say, okay, that's a Kim paragraph and that's a Michelle paragraph, but somehow it it melds in a way that doesn't feel like we're pasting things together that don't go together.
0: Now, I was wondering, could you give us an overview of your publishing journey so far? Where did you start? Where are you now?
1: Well, I I published my first short story, I believe, in 2003, like 20 years ago this year. Um, And I was a graduate student at the time. And it actually won the Gulf Coast short story contest. Um, And then I published a few more. In graduate school. But I think, you know, if I remember correctly, when I left graduate school, I had maybe four stories published. Um, and then I got a full time job outside of academia, and I definitely kind of struggled <laughs> for a few years, um, lost the community. I was still writing, but not on a, well, I mean, these days I write pretty much every single day. And back then it was kind of haphazard. Um, And I just kind of felt like I lost, I lost the thread, like I lost, I I just didn't know what I was doing anymore. My confidence fell. I didn't, and again, I didn't have people to share drafts with so much. We kind of all went different ways. Um, And then at some point, I just remember thinking like, you know, I feel really unhappy (laughs) when I'm not writing very much. And it's, it's, I can't. I can't keep doing this. I have to find a way to like make this, you know, a routine process again. And I made myself some kind of calendar where I was like, okay, I'm going to write at least two hours a day. And I was checking it off and, and just get, and that was so key. Right. Because, and I know not everybody can write every day and I don't, I have no criticism of whatever people's schedules are, but for me, If I go for weeks or months without writing, I forget how to write. I lose all confidence. I don't know. I don't trust my instincts anymore. So it became really key for me to have a really regular writing practice. You know, maybe I miss a day here and there, but I need to write pretty much every day to to feel like I know what I'm doing. And then so, yeah, at some point I started submitting again, because I don't think I submitted for a number of years And then I think, you know, a really key thing for me is when I met Kim, you know, we met in 2014 and we hit it off and became each other's first readers. And then suddenly, I think at that time we had both published like seven stories a piece total and then just kind of feeding off of each other and that energy. Now we've both published, you know, I think hundreds of stories and. And we each have three books, and then this collaborative one will be the fourth. I think I've answered your question, maybe. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I think so. I think so. What made you feel ready to publish your first collection?
1: I know that okay and and I've heard I'm sure lots of people have been in this situation when I was in graduate school I was working on a collection of stories and you know post graduation I was like yeah this is a book (laughs) I should start setting this out, and I think I did submit it to some places you know some some various contests. of course, nothing happened with that. And then I soon realized, like, this is not a book. <laughs> this, is, this is a collection of all of the junk I've written <laughs> in graduate school. And some of the stories were really good, but others were not so good. And you just, that's not a good collection, you know. So, you know, then many years passed, and then I finally started really seriously writing again. And I was able to cut and dump all of that stuff that just was really rough and just not, not really going the way it needed to go. And so once I really got writing again and publishing again, and then, you know, like I said, cutting the stuff that I knew wasn't very good, you know, that being very super honest with yourself, um, eventually I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I really believe in every one of these stories I, I think it's a collection. Let's try it, you know, and, and then that was what won the moon city award.
0: Did you initially want to publish with a small press?
1: I don't think I even considered another option to be honest, because I feel like if you want to try to target one of the giant big five presses, you almost always have to have a novel. You know, I mean, I know there are those rare exceptions, but for me, I didn't want to spend months and months querying agents and then, you know, possibly years after that trying to, (laughs) trying to, you know, submit a book without a novel to go with it. I just, I get very impatient about stuff like that. I'm very patient when it comes to writing but not when it comes to the business stuff. It just it just frustrates me. I don't want to spend my time doing that. So it just seemed like small presses were the way to go. I don't have to have an agent. I don't have to spend time querying somebody. And you know.
0: And what has your experience been like since you've published with three different presses for each of your collections? Um, what has that been like?
1: Well, I mean, all of them have have been different in various ways, right? I mean they're all small presses, although I, I would say I think that the biggest difference would be the third collection because that was a un well University of North Texas press. It's a small press but it's you know, I don't know if you know much about it, but they publish all these other kinds of books like regional books, uh, historical stuff. I mean just very a very different kind of press than Moon City and Stillhouse, which both seem to really focus on literary writing, right? Literary fiction and poetry and nonfiction. Um, So I felt like that was the biggest difference was UNT was just all it's just kind of all over the place. So it's just it's not focused on what I do. And so I felt like I did get a little bit a little bit lost in that it was, it was harder to like <laughs> it was hard to harder to build those relationships with the press that I think I built with still and moon city press um because it was a little bit bigger and just spread out
0: how has any press's approach to the publishing process made it easier for you as an author um in promoting and generally finishing the project
1: of the book well, with Moon City, Mike Szyniewski, um he's super resourceful, super hardworking. You know, he was able to take on a lot of the burden of, and especially given that was my first book. I mean, I didn't know anything. I mean, I remember when he emailed me something about the ARCs, and I was like, what's an ARC? <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know he was also he even asked a few people for blurbs for me I mean I had to ask for some of them myself but he did some of that he had a lot of connections um he was just really on top of all that stuff and it, yeah it was a really good experience for a first-time author who knows pretty much nothing and doesn't know where to start um and you know Stillhouse too, had you know again very helpful in a lot of ways. I felt like we had good communication for the most part. Um, I knew what they were going to do, what they were able to do, and and I could rely on them doing that, you know, and, and hearing back from them about this or that, you know, sending out ARCs or, you know, soliciting journals for potential interviews or reviews. And also, you know, and I would say all three presses, I thought did a good job, but different in different ways. Editing the books, you know. I mean, I think with Moon City, um, Karen Crago, I believe that's Mike's wife. I think she edited that book. Um, with Stillhouse, rather than being just simply copy edit copy edited, um, they do developmental edits, which is a little bit different. You know, I know you y- you have um, graduate students working on these books. And they really spent a lot of time reading closely. But, you know, they picked up on things that I didn't notice, like the one that just sticks out in my mind. uh, Shapeshifting is, it's a collection of stories that are centered on motherhood and mothering in a lot of ways. And Ginny Egerton pointed out, like, oh, you've got multiple water births in this book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like maybe you want to have some more variety. I'm like, I didn't notice, you know, because I'm writing all of those stories individually and then putting them together. And and so she picked up on patterns like that. Um, and and also with Unt, they also did a fabulous job copy editing it. It was more of a straight up copy edit, but but very meticulous. Um. I guess I would say my takeaway from working with all three presses and like thinking forward um, with future, about future books, I feel like the biggest thing is communication, you know, having really clear communication, understanding upfront, what I can expect from a press, you know, what they're able to do, what they need me to do. And then, Being able to trust them to, you know, to tell me what they're doing and to know that they're going to follow through because there were definitely hiccups here and there, Um, you know, (laughs) and I don't want, I don't want to like pick on UNT because they did so many great things for that book, but there were some like weird little things like, you know, I had to fill out this really extensive marketing spreadsheet. I spent a lot of time filling out all of the stuff and then I heard almost nothing back about it afterwards. I'm like, why, why did you ask me to do all of that? You know? Um, And so that's something I wish that I, you know, in retrospect, that we'd had a conversation about that, that I would have understood more upfront what they were going to do with it. Um, Things like that, you know, or, 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 um, you know, if the press says they're going to send out a book somewhere, I want to trust that they're going to do that and that I don't have to ask them 10 times, did you send it? Did you send it? They said they didn't receive it. <laughs> did you send it? <laughs> um, so that, I mean, I know. And it's and it's hard with small presses, right? Because they're they're small. They don't have a big staff. They don't have a lot of money. So that's why I think the communication is so key, just like being really upfront about who's doing what? How are we getting this stuff done? Who You know, and kind of divide it up and...
0: What small presses don't have in money we make up for in time overtime, mm-hmm. and, and effort because whether you're writing or publishing this stuff you really need to love it right well, i think we've covered what would be important to you now that you have published the collections I think you know what you're looking for in your next press don't you
1: yeah and I and I know I told you I can't tell you just yet since I haven't officially signed the contract for the new press but but we know what we did with them that's a little bit different than what we've done the past Kim and I you know we're like let's schedule a zoom call and can we talk to you and ask questions about what you're able to do for this book? And, and it, you know, we had a great conversation and that's not anything I've done in the past. You know, I've, well, also in the past, you know, I was entering fiction contests, right? So you win a contest and and it's like, I guess you can say, I'm not going to, publish I'm just going to take prize money or something but you know it's not typically how it goes um so I didn't ask a lot of questions with the first three books I pretty much just said yay and (laughs) signed a contract um but yeah with this last one we just we sat down and have had a conversation about the things that have gone well and not so well with previous presses and um and I feel we'll see you know I feel like we have a, a very clear sense of how things are going to go and what to expect. So knowing
0: now what you know, you as an author would choose to advocate for yourself at all costs. For
1: sure. I mean, I think, you know, as we discussed with small presses, you do have to be realistic. You know, you can't expect them to have a giant budget. You can't expect a team of one or two or four people to be able to do crazy amounts of stuff for you. But having those conversations are really key so that you do have realistic expectations and you know what they can do and what you need to do on your own. And in
0: your process of researching presses in the past and recently, if you were going to tell a new author what to look for, from the outside of a press what do you tend to look for to figure out whether a press is a good fit
1: for you um I think a couple of the most important things I mean unless it's somehow just this brand new press that hasn't published anything well then you you know you want to read at least one of the books they've published um and that's not just to find out whether your work might be a good fit for them but also to find out whether you like what they're publishing (laughs) do you want to be published by that press um if you pick up a book and it's really poorly edited and it's or it's you know weird formatting or it's somehow a mess or you just don't like the writing that's that's a good sign it's not the right place um for me, I really I, I want a pretty book cover too. <laughs> so I pay attention to that kind of thing. If the if the covers of the books the press is publishing are just kind of ho-hum and were ugly, I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> I just I I wanna I wanna like the way it looks. So that's important to me. Um, I those are really the biggest things for me, just from a far glance. Um, cause it's hard to know the answers to the other kinds of questions just from looking at a press website or or reading a few books. Um I do think if if it's at all possible, if you know people who have published with various presses, reach out to them and ask them how the experience went. And that's another thing I did with this this new book um that Kim and I wrote. I know one of the authors they publish, so I did reach out to her and tell her, hey, we have an offer from this press. Um, what was your experience like? Would you recommend them? And she highly recommended them, so um, that was useful information. And she's also a person who would published multiple books, so I knew she had different, <laughs> you know, experiences to compare it to. Um, and then, you know, I guess, oh, I... I will also kind of just look around to see like, Oh, where, where's, where are their books available? You know, um, are they sold in different places? Can I find them, you know, at at different, um, online booksellers? Does that press go to AWP the, the writer's conference? Um, not that any one of these things is a deal breaker, but it's helpful, you know, to know that they're going to be there selling books at the, at the conference. Outside of that, I think you really just kind of have to ask questions if you get to the point where you're getting an offer.
0: That brings me back to the submission process. What are some things that you have learned about the submission process that you didn't know when you started that might be helpful for new authors that are just getting into submitting to know?
1: Well, um, One, especially with contests, but sometimes just regular submissions too, there are fees. So that's something to, you know, pay attention to. You know, some and they can run the gamut. It might be as small as ten dollars. It might be as high as forty or fifty dollars to submit your book. Um, so I think all the more reason that you really want to do some research to make sure that it's not just a wild idea to be submitting to that press. Why waste $40 on a press that, you know, would never in a million years publish your book because they specialize in something in a certain kind of writing that you don't do. Um, So I think that's, that's really important. And I've also come to realize with book contests, but I would assume this is with all submissions, they're not gonna sit there and read your whole book. <laughs> you know, they not not to start, right? They they have piles of books that are being submitted to them. So they're gonna read maybe the first story, maybe the last story. And then if those, you know, are, are strong enough that they wanna read more, they might keep reading. But if they're not, your book is gonna be rejected right then and there because those opening and ending stories weren't strong enough. So I mean, obviously. I think every story should be strong. You don't want to leave stories in there that you know aren't very good, but you also want to you know, keep the beginning and ending in, in mind in particular and make sure you're really starting off strongly and ending strongly.
0: I agree with that point. And I feel like that's true for any submissions that are submitted in like a cluster to a press or a magazine. You cannot imagine how many submissions your reader has seen already today. (laughs) You You have to make sure that you have their attention.
1: You know, that's a good point. I hadn't really connected that to to journal submissions, but as an editor, I I was just going to say that, you know, a lot of times with flash fiction, people will submit, you know, three stories at a time, right? And I find that, if those stories if one of them is bad you're leaving a sour taste in my mouth you know I don't really want to read story 2 and story 3 so sometimes people hurt themselves by grouping clusters of flash fiction together when they should just submit the one that's that's the strongest you know and not distract from it
0: By the way I have been for the podcast and I have been wondering your work as an editor for the Atticus Review, how do you feel that connects or informs your work as a short story author who is publishing often or attempting to be published often? Like, has that behind the scenes work helped you at all?
1: Oh, yeah, I would say tremendously. I mean, I, I did. I, I know you mentioned this earlier. I left Atticus Review earlier this year just because I was exhausted. <laughs> You know, I I was there for about eight years, and our maximum word cutoff at Atticus was four thousand words. So while we got a lot of flash fiction submissions, we also had a lot of longer story submissions, and it took a lot of time. And now, one hundred word story, of course, way shorter, (laughs) a lot less of a, a time commitment. So that's why I made that switch. But I mean, I feel like I've I learned so much. Atticus review I mean again when we're talking about I think it's about you know learning how to be super honest about what's working and and what's not working you know I mean, I know as an editor that I've got this pile of stories and you have to kind of you have to really win me over quickly you know if if I'm not interested in the first page then, I'm not likely to keep reading much further than that. Um, It's just the reality of it because you just can't, you know, you have too many submissions to wait several pages and hoping it's going to get better, you know, and even if it does get better, well, that's a lot of editing I'm going to have to do later if I set this piece because it's opening is too weak. So, um, and you know, I, I did edit stories and I enjoy editing stories, but it's risky taking on a story that needs a lot of editing it's it's time consuming you don't know how the author is going to receive that you know I mean it doesn't always go smoothly um so all the more reason like you know it's just I'm looking for those stories that start off strong that catch my attention that have a certain energy that are polished um that are pleasurable to read or entertaining, you know, or that are satisfying. Um, and and yeah, I, I quickly learned to apply that to my own work, you know, and to be asking those kinds of questions constantly, um, it, it maybe too much sometimes. I kind of drive myself crazy, but, <laughs> but it is really important. You have to think about the reader, you know. Um, there has to be a lot in it for them. And, it, and you want it to stand out and have this kind of energy that is unique and different. And it's so hard to define what it is, but usually we know it when we see it. So, yeah, all those years of, of reading have really helped me to read my own work more carefully and to be more honest with what's actually interesting and, and what isn't or what's strong writing and what is kind of, eh, you know, <laughs> needs some more revision.
0: I agree. Having worked on a couple journals myself, nothing has helped my writing more than reading everybody else's Mm -hmm. writing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Both published and unpublished. It is such a joy to, to find and read new journals. What have you been reading recently, if you have had any time to
1: read any journals recently? Oh, reading journals. Well... I mean, I don't know, I kind of, I kind of read randomly here and there. Um, and sometimes I'm not even reading the most current stuff. Like I, especially if I have issues of journals that I have stories in that maybe I, I didn't get around to reading all the other stories in the, in the journal, I'll pick those up sometimes like, oh, I, you know, I don't, didn't read these other stories in here. I should get in here and read those. So I was just reading a a story from the Colorado Review That really from like five years ago, but (laughs) but um yeah, I read a story I really loved in Smoke. I'm not going to remember the author or the title right now, but (laughs) in Smoke Long Quarterly just the other day that I then then like that same day somebody emailed me and was like, oh I'm going to do this flash fiction course. Like, what are some recommendations? And I was like, well, I'm in the middle of work. I'm really busy. I don't have time to put together a list. But hey, here's a story I read this morning and. I really liked it, so. (laughs) Um, And then I'm always, you know, always reading lots of books. Um, I do a lot of audiobooks these days because I don't always have the time to just, like, lay around and read, you know, the way I did at one point. And, I mean, I'm always reading before bed at night, but but I love audiobooks because I can listen to them in the car. I can listen to them when I go on a walk or while I'm cooking dinner or... (laughs)
0: now we just need to get literary journals on audio and we would that would be
1: great that would be great that's a good idea somebody needs to do that (laughs) (laughs) that's a great idea
0: hopefully somebody will put that into action relatively soon honestly michelle it has been so nice talking to you um can you tell us where we can find your most recent work
1: I guess the most recent story I published was in the forge um, literary magazine online. It's a story called animals in confinement. Um, And I've published some other flash fiction this year. It's funny. It's been a weird, it's been kind of, I don't know why I'm saying it. Maybe it's not weird, but it feels kind of weird to me. I feel like most of this year I've spent time working on long stories and I haven't written a whole lot of, flash fiction and microfiction this year but publishing wise it's like that it's the shorter stuff I've been publishing because I'm still working on the long stories and it takes me forever and I I work on multiple things at the same time so I'm bouncing around between four or five different longer stories at a time at least Um, so it's been slow although I did just have a longer story accepted in Colorado Review, which is why I was digging out old Colorado Review issues the other day. Um, so that'll be forthcoming next year, I think in March. Um,
0: yeah, awesome. congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking with us. Michelle's collection from Stillhouse Press Shapeshifting is available for sale on our website, stillhousepress.org. Michelle's most recent collection, They Kept Running, is available now from bookshop.org and amazon.com. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for joining us. The Moonshine Murmurs podcast is produced by Stillhouse Press staff in coordination with Watershed Lit. For more episodes and updates, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Twitter, and Instagram. Stillhouse Press is a student-led craft publisher working with George Mason University and Watershed Lit. You can find out more about Stillhouse Press and upcoming releases and events at stillhousepress.org. Thank you for listening.